Well, I want to begin by sharing a story from last year. Uh, our family has just spent the last five years out in the east in Manitoba, Winkler, Manitoba. And our tradition was to come out to visit family every summer. We'd spend a couple weeks here and just loved getting out in the outdoors. Um, if you've ever been out to the prairies, it's slightly lacking for elevation change and some of that. And so we loved coming out here and you know doing some hiking, seeing mountains, new sites. So last year, uh, we're staying in Yarrow with my in-laws, and we decided the one day, let's go check out the Othello Tunnels in Hope. It's about an hour drive, but figured this would be a great little walk slash hike for the kids. Uh, at the time, they were six, five, and three, and we just thought this would be a beautiful spot. If you've never been to the Othello Tunnels, they're like just on the far side of Hope. There's some uh, no longer used, uh, train railway tunnels, and it's just gorgeous. You hike alongside the Coquihalla River, you go over it. It's beautiful to be in God's creation. So we drive an hour out, we finally pull into this long driveway, and we come around to the parking lot, and to our surprise, yellow tape everywhere. The Othello tunnels are closed. I guess there had been some sort of landslide, and they just said, nope public is not allowed in here. Well, you're going to catch on to this. This is one of these stories where do as I say, not as I did, just to give you a heads up. I thought, like, really, I've done lots of hiking, small landslide. Come on, they can't, they can't keep us out. But the parking lot was closed. You don't want to be too much of a rebel. But I knew that there's a back way around to the Othello Tunnels, right? The Kettle Valley Trail, for some of you who are familiar. So we drove around the back, and we parked there. And there, too, there were signs that the trail was closed. But uh, led by my stubborn persistence and rebellion, uh, our family of five and my in-laws, we decided, OK, we're going we're gonna to hike to the back end. Now, the kids are fairly young, right? At that point, maybe longest hike they could do was about five kilometers. And it was a four-kilometer hike just into the tunnels. So you do the math and kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit, but thought, we're going to make this happen. We drove all the way out. We got to do this. So we're hiking along, and it's going OK. Uh, we come to where the landslide was. And sure enough, there is one, but there's a path right beside it. You can walk through it. And uh, I'm getting excited. Like, this is going to be great. Kids are going to love it. You know, the tunnels will give them some new energy, and then we'll be able to make it all the way back. And we round the last corner, and to our surprise, here is an eight-foot-tall chain-link fence blocking the entrance. Ah, Jeremy, you shouldn't have embarked on this hike to begin with. But here we are. OK, so we turn around. Kids, some adults, starting to get grumpy. You know, it's now another four-kilometer hike back. Like, what else could go wrong? And then it started to rain. <laughs> Great day. I share this story because we were surprised, I was surprised very much by all the closed doors that day. Like, how can you close an outside trail? This morning, we're going to be diving back into the book of Acts. Uh, we've spent some time there in the, the past year. 
Now we're back in, continuing up in Acts chapter 10. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn there. Uh, but here we have the opposite. So whereas our experience with the Othello Tunnels, you know, access was denied. Here we have an opening. A door that had been closed is now being opened in this just beautiful, magnificent way. And the way that God opens this door is... Uh, dramatic and powerful. And we have here in Acts 10, moving right into Acts 11, the longest narrative in the book of Acts that points to this huge turning point where salvation is now opened up to the Gentiles. So I want to invite you uh, to read along. If you have a Bible, if not, the words will be on the screen. Uh, but this is Acts 10, verse 1 to 23. And the passage kind of lends itself naturally to three different scenes. So follow along as I read them. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, and that would mean 3 p.m., he saw clearly in, in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror, as often happens with angelic appearances in the Bible. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he, the angel, said to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he, Cornelius, called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Cut scene. Now we move to our second part. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, that is noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came, to a there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Then we enter our third scene. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them 
without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to his house than to hear what you have to say. So he, Peter, invited them in to be his guests. So from this text of scripture, and even the, the two chunks that follow it, we're going to see this overall big idea that salvation is available for everyone, everywhere. So there's a bit of an outline this morning. I want to just run through our story, pick out different topics, themes, and, and make that point, and then offer us two applications, two ways in which we can live that out. So before we dive in, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the truth that it contains. Thank you for how you reveal yourself to us uh, through your word. Father, we pray that uh, as I speak to you, as I speak this morning, Lord, that um, ultimately you would speak, Holy Spirit. Um, would you uh, challenge it where we need us, where we need it? Would you convict us uh, in areas of sin? Would you encourage us, uh, Jesus, to, uh, to live in your ways, Lord, and to seek you? And in all this, uh, would you be exalted? We pray this in your name. Amen. So that first big point, salvation is for everyone, everywhere. So we start out in Caesarea, introduced to Cornelius. Caesarea was a Roman port city. Uh, Cornelius, we're told, was a centurion, uh, an important man there. Kids, do you have any idea what centurion means? Do you know maybe a word that sounds like centurion? Century. Thank you. Uh, so century is 100 years. But uh, Cornelius was not 100 years old, but was rather the leader of a cohort, a military group of 100 men. So as so, he was a pretty esteemed individual. He would have been well to do. Something that Luke tells us right off the bat is that this is a good guy. Like he is a God-fearer. He prayed continually. He gave alms to the poor. But something that we might not catch on, just being in a, in a 21st North American context as opposed to first century Palestinian context, is that Cornelius was a Gentile. Now we might think, well, that's no big deal, right? But the thing is, as a Gentile, he was not part of the family of God. In other words, he was not saved. Yes, he, he feared God and he was seeking God in different ways, but he had not taken the official steps to become a Jew, which would have meant circumcision as well as following uh, kosher dietary laws. So here we have Cornelius, and then this angel comes to him, gives him this vivid vision, and instructs him to send men to Joppa. Joppa is about 50 kilometers south, a long day's travel. And so Cornelius 
he immediately sends his men to Joppa to seek out Peter. Cut scene. We move now down to Joppa and find Peter. So we're told that Peter is up on the top of a roof. He's there at noon. Uh, he's spending time in prayer. And I just, as I dove into this passage, I just was, uh, I love the, the humanity as well as the honesty and humor in this passage. Because here's pre Peter, this apostle of, of Christ, and he's up trying to spend some intentional time in prayer, you know, seeking God for the salvation of the lost. But his tummy starts to rumble. And he's just hungry, right? Maybe he missed breakfast. We don't know. That's speculation. But he's thinking about food. And God meets him right there in that. And he gives him this vision of the sheet coming down, containing all sorts of animals. And then he tells him, rise, Peter, kill and eat, right? Every man's favorite verse, go eat steak. Every hardcore vegetarian's like horror. Peter, not a hardcore vegetarian, but he's also horrified because this sheet contains all sorts of animals that he's not allowed to eat. In fact, he's been commanded by scripture, by God, not to eat them. So I want to bring us to uh, Leviticus 11. I'm sure all of you spent time in Leviticus this morning and your devotions. Fascinating, uh, active book. Chapter 11 is 47 verses long. About 85% of those verses are all negative commands. Do not eat this and do not eat that and do not eat the other. There's a few concessions. This is what you can eat. And there's a few calls, you know, be like me. I'm going to read for you four of the last verses in Leviticus. Leviticus 11, 41 to 44a. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable and should not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground you shall not eat for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms, and you shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. So I just want you to notice how serious these commands are. The beginning of Leviticus 11 says that these are commands that God gave to Moses and Aaron. And we're not presented with these as, you know, suggestions. You know, if you want, if you feel like it, then eat these certain kinds of foods. But rather, God says, if you eat these foods, which I've commanded you not to, you'll be detestable, defiled. How would you like to wear that label? And so this is the boat that Peter is in. Now, let me ask you this morning, who here desires to be holy? Who here wants to follow God and be obedient to his commands? Who here enjoys eating bacon? Yes, more hands go up. That is not a good thing, but that happened in Lake Iraq as well. <laughs> but here, if you're eating bacon, Often, you're living in habitual sin. So just put yourself in Peter's shoes. For him to see this vision 
was a big deal. By no means, Lord, right? That is his response. I'm not going to sin against you. But slowly, Peter begins to understand that this is about more than just food. I love how God speaks to him as well. Um, You notice that God doesn't give him the vision once. Uh, He doesn't give him the vision twice. He gives Peter the vision three times. And if you remember back to the Gospels, Peter's a guy that denies Christ three times, right? And then Christ reinstitutes Peter three times. So this is something that that God is wanting to make very clear. This is coming from me. I'm speaking this to you, Peter. This brings us to our final scene where Peter's perplexed about the vision. He's wondering, you know, is that just me missing breakfast? Is this from God? It's pretty vivid. It's pretty personal. God, what are you saying? And then the doorbell rings. Ding dong. And then right in between that doorbell ringing and Peter going and and answering or getting called and going to answer, what happens? Right then the spirit speaks to him, right? I've sent these three men. Go with them without hesitation. Now, for Cornelius and for Peter, all these things would seem like disconnected parts. Like, something's happening here, God, but we're not exactly sure what. How is this all connected? Have any of you had experiences or experienced events where, you know, you weren't sure at first how they all related, but then they all pointed to something bigger, maybe greater truth? Um, Christmas, when I was 17, half a lifetime ago, I received some insensitive gifts for my parents. My dad's here this morning. He'll remember this story. So 17, right? Um, we'd moved back to Canada a year, just over a year ago from being in Mexico City. I'd gotten my driver's license, uh, had a dirt bike for a little bit, let it run out of oil. It's a great thing to do when you get your first vehicle. The engine seized. I no longer had a motorcycle to ride, so I rode my bicycle. But I want a car, right? Every 16, 17-year-old with their N, you want that independence. I'd gone a job, but just couldn't afford it yet. And, uh, you know, was really just looking forward to that day when I could drive out of Yarrow and go to Chilliwack or Abbotsford. Yay, live the, live the life, right? So it's Christmas time. We're opening gifts around the tree. And then my mom hands me this small package. And I open it. And here's a pack of four pine-scented $1.99 car fresheners. <laughs> Yay, Mom. All I've ever wanted were car fresheners, not a car, but thanks. Thanks for pointing out the obvious that I don't have a vehicle yet. Keep opening presents. Then a few minutes later, my dad hands me a larger, softer package. I open it, and in it are these cool gray and black seat covers. <sighs> Thanks, Dad. Now you and Mom are both ganging up on me and letting everyone know that I don't have a vehicle. 
I'll use these 10 years from now when I can afford one. We open a few more presents, and then the last one, I get handed this small rectangular box, and I open it up, open, unwrap it, and here is a VHS. You all remember VHSs? There's those black tapes you stuck in a box that would then eat the tape, right? <laughs> well, is the movie Dumbo. Mom, I'm 17, I'm cool, not seven. Like, come on, what are you guys doing? You, you got this all wrong this Christmas. But inside was not a black cartridge. It was a set of papers and some keys. They had gotten me a vehicle. I was so excited. The point I'm, I'm trying to make is that I should have caught this earlier. I was pretty oblivious. I didn't see it till the end. But God in this passage is at work. There's been hints even from before this passage here in Acts, but he is opening up the way of salvation to the Gentiles, to everyone. And he is making that so clear to Cornelius, to Peter, and just working in, in powerful and direct ways. Now, my guess is that this is not a shocking truth for us, right? We're not in Peter's shoes in the first century where we've been living for centuries believing that you no know, salvation is only for the Jews. Likely all of us here this morning are Gentiles and we praise God that we can be saved and eat bacon, right? <laughs> but that doesn't mean that this enormous truth doesn't challenge our sinful nature today. Let me ask you a question, and, and don't answer it out loud, but what's the first thing or emotion that comes to mind as I say the following words? Um, Indo-Canadian or indigenous, for that matter, Caucasian, Taliban, Muslim or Sikh or atheist, homeless, addicts, LGBTQ plus, murderers or rapists or pedophiles, you know, insert name or group here. I remember scrolling Facebook one afternoon a few years ago and I came across this post with a picture of a noose on it and beside it read, this is what every pedophile deserves. That post really disturbed me, and even more so because it was posted by a lady from the church I was pastoring. You see, some of those are just cultural groups. Some of those are, are sinful lifestyles and sins. But if your response to those words is either hatred or separation or alienation, not just from the sin, but also from the sinner, then you have not understood the depth of your own sin and the extent of God's great grace. Right? Salvation is for all, everyone. And it's, it's for us as well. And that's because all of us are sinners, not just the pedophile, but 
I am a sinner and we are all in need of God's grace and praise God that he sent his one and only son, the only one who could pay that price for our sins, that he took our place on the cross and that through his shed blood, through his death and resurrection, that we have that forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. I guess a question that I want to ask you, specifically with how we view others, is this. Who are the individuals and groups that your response would be, by no means, Lord, to loving and sharing the gospel with? Those are exactly the people that God wants you to have in your home, to share your life with, to evangelize. Praise God that salvation is available to everyone, everywhere. So that is this, this massive text with, with huge implications. Um, but I want to jump quickly and, and cover two applications, two things we're called to do based from this text here this morning in, in Acts 10. So the first thing we're called to do is we are called to pray. You may have uh, noticed it. You may not have caught it. But our text this morning is just littered in examples of prayer. So we start off, and, and Luke tells us right away in Cornelius' introduction that this is a man, although a Gentile God-fearer, but he prayed continually. That's an example to us. Um, one thing we might not catch just in a, in a simple reading of the passage is that Cornelius was praying, right? Or sorry, it was about the ninth hour of the day when he saw this vision. Well, the ninth hour of the day, 3 p.m., was the customary Jewish time of prayer. And so in all likelihood, Cornelius receives this vision from God while he is spending time with the Lord in prayer. The angel then goes on to say that your prayers have ascended as a memorial before God. This word memorial in the Greek uh, appears only here in the New Testament, but we have references to it in the Old Testament. And this angel is basically saying, your prayers are like an offering, like a sacrifice to God. Uh, this is an act of worship that you are doing. And then finally, we see how Peter is praying, right? At noon, up on his roof, and again, I just love that picture that even though he's gone to, to seek God and is maybe somewhat distracted, he's hungry, that God meets him where he's at, right? We don't have to spend two hours on our knees every day to, to really be seeking Jesus. Uh, we pray where we're at, physically, geographically, emotionally, and God hears us. The point I want to make is that Prayer is a crucial way through which God saves people. Now, God does not need us for his work, for his work of salvation. He can do that all without us. But we have the privilege of being used by God. And so my challenge to us is we all know people who are not following Christ, right? We all know people who need the gospel. Let's be faithful in praying for them. Finally, we're called to obey. Uh, in a beautiful passage about the availability of salvation for all, Paul has this to say in Romans 10, verses 13 to 14. 
for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So yes, God saves, but he's also given us mouths to proclaim the way in which he saves, to proclaim the gospel. And that preaching does not just apply to doing this right now. That's, that's us sharing the gospel in, in conversation, through life. And that is something we're called to be obedient to. In our text this morning, we see obedience displayed in a few different ways. Cornelius obeys the angel's command and, and sends his men to get Peter, even though he doesn't know all the details. Peter's called to eat what he believes is unclean food. And though we don't see it right in our text, shortly afterwards, he begins to, to do so. He begins to fellowship with Gentiles. And then Peter welcomes these Gentile strangers into someone else's home and goes with them without knowing all the full details. You know, they didn't know how everything would work out. There's probably a degree of uncomfort, of discomfort there. And yet, they're still obedient. So the challenge to us is the same. God's command to Peter was clearly uncomfortable, yet he obeyed. What area of your life is God calling you to obey, even though... Maybe you're perplexed by it. Perhaps it's uncomfortable. Let me close with this. I believe it's such an incredible privilege to be used by God to, to point people to his son, Jesus. Um, because salvation is available to everyone, everywhere, we know that. That is the point of this text. Let's be faithful in praying for the lost, and uh, witnessing to them as the Spirit gives us opportunity. Let's pray. Jesus, um, all this is because of you. Uh, had you not come and, and died on the cross, uh, you know, we would not be here, Lord. Salvation um, would not be possible, but we're so grateful Jesus, that you displayed love uh, in the ultimate way as you did. God, we, we all know people that are living apart from you, God, that right this minute uh, were you to return, were they to pass away, uh, would spend eternity in hell separated from you. God, would you let uh, the weight of that um, sink in and be a burden to us that we might be faithful in prayer, uh, that we might, um, you know, not, not only w wait for a vision to, to share the gospel, but to be intentional, to, to look for opportunities. And Father, we, we are also so grateful that ultimately, Lord, you are the one that saves. Um, that weight does not rest on our shoulders. Father, lead us. Uh, lead us in your ways. Help us to, to honor you, Jesus, uh, in all that we do, um, to live our lives for your honor and glory. We love you, Lord. 
and pray all these things in your great name. Amen.